Friday night. We uh, want to see you all here. And it's going to be a fun time. Uh, that's called the church hop. That's what... Uh, uh, church clap. What is it called? Church clap. Church clap. <laughs> see? You want me to dance? Oh. Yes. Yes? yes. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, I've seen enough doctors lately. What? Okay, well, anyway, that's what it's called. And so that's going to be going on. We're going to be having a, a, a big crew up here uh, leading us in worship. I was actually on uh, Friday, I think, on Saturday, I was walking through church trying to find uh, mic clips. Uh, and I couldn't find any. Here, Abby took them all. And that's how many people were going to be up here. So it's going to be a great night. And, of course, we've got the uh, women's uh, retreat that's going to be on Saturday. Last I heard was 134 people. And uh, I think uh, we're trying to get 150. So make sure, if you didn't sign up, you're coming. If you didn't bring your friend, bring them. We want 150 here. Okay, turn your Bibles. We are way behind today. We are not getting done with the sermon. I guarantee it. I got to point one in the first service. And so, but what we're going to talk about today is the parable of, of, the, of the ten virgins. If you remember, we've been uh, looking at what's happening in Israel, saying, does that apply to us? Is what happening in Israel apply to us? So um, we looked at, the first sermon was talking about the birth pains. The birth pains that are leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. The birth pains that uh, are become, you know, you have a, a contraction, and then it eventually becomes more and more intense and, and, and bigger until eventually uh, the baby's born. Last week we talked about the, uh, the one of the most important signs that we're looking for, uh, the abomination that causes desolation, and we talked about that, uh, the fact that the temple has to be uh, has to be built, and the fact that we have to uh, this, this person comes in and, and sets himself up, which we believe is going to be the beast and and whatnot. Then Jesus changes his sermon just a little bit. And he says, okay, these are all the things that are happening. He says, pretty much the same, but what about you? How should you respond? And so that's what we're going to look at this week and next week. Because as I said, there's no way I'm going to get done. Okay? So he's looking at him and he's saying, what are you going to do about it? How should you respond to the fact that I'm going to come back again? So he comes up with this parable. Parable is a story with a with a with a meaning behind it. Most of the nursery rhymes are that way. You know that. Most of the nursery uh, stories are that way, where uh, you know, you know, Little Red Riding Hood. You know, don't go into a wolf's house. I mean, you see a wolf down, down going down the road. Don't don't walk with him. You know, there's little, little reasons behind a lot of these stories. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. So today we're going to talk about weddings. Who here likes weddings? What do you like about wedding food? Free food, right? You, you look at a family that had all girls. I mean, and 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 oh man, it was. I, I only had two girls, and and uh, all the expenses that are result of that. What anybody know what the average cost of a wedding in Ohio is now? You wish five grand. Twenty. Who said twenty? You're not there. Not yet. No, nope. 50's too high. 40's too high. 30's too high. $26,000 is an average wedding. No, it's an average. 
Okay. My wedding was probably ten dollars and forty-five cents. I mean, Polly and I got married. I didn't pay the preacher because he was my father-in-law. We went to the uh, church fellowship hall. We had cake and ice cream and, and uh, said hey to everybody. Uh, my my daughter's weddings. Uh, you know, one of them we paid about half. The other one we paid it all. And then my son had his wedding, and I was thankful he was a son. And even though I did pay for some of it, my my second daughter. Uh, they came home from college, my, his, her and her boyfriend came home from college, and uh, there was a, um, a boutique that was going out of business in Finley, and Polly goes, you know, Joanna, we ought to go buy your wedding dress right now. They weren't even engaged. <laughs> and so they decided they're going to go, and they, uh, they go to this boutique, and Tony, my son, now son-in-law, all of a sudden he stands up, he's really nervous, he goes, can we go talk? <laughs> So I made sure that I took him to a hot dog place in, in Finley. Uh, as Jim Steffen was the owner of it, uh, and he's one of these guys that knows everybody, talks to everybody in town. And I walked in, and he goes, hey, preacher, how you doing? And I said, pretty good. I said, this guy wants to marry my daughter. Should I let him? No. And so he really, and he hadn't even asked me yet, but I knew what it was all about. And then you get to the wedding. When I get couples that come and sit down with me, the first thing I do is I look at her and I say, you are not going to have a perfect wedding. When I got married, I had pneumonia. I was supposed to be in the hospital. My brother gets married and his best man decides, well, his wife decides to have a baby. My other brother gets married and one of the flower girls uh, didn't want to walk down the aisle, so my daughter became the flower girl. I got two weddings that come to mind, and I'm going to share one this week and the other one next week, but I get this phone call, and I go, yeah, I said, preacher, yeah, can you come and marry us? What? I said, my grandmother's dying, and, and I want to be married, she always wanted me to get married, I want to get married, right now, but she's dying. I said, where do you want to go, where, where are you at? The nursing home. Oh, okay. So I get, I put my, my Polly goes, where are you going? I'm doing a wedding, and I put my... They were already counseling with it. Put my suit and tie on. Went to this <coughs> Walk in. And there's, there's the bride. Pink fuzzy slippers. Pajama bottoms. Of course, she was wearing a top. But I don't remember what it was. The boyfriend comes walking in. And he has a white tank top. We call them white beater shirts. You know. He's wearing a white tank top and jeans. And I go, you want, are you sure you want to get married? He goes, yeah, we want to get married. I said, are you absolutely sure? Yeah, we want to get married. But I want to get married before she dies. And she's going to die today. Okay. So we went. And I started doing the dearly beloved. She stops breathing. <laughs> We're not there yet. <laughs> I mean, it's called apnea. Okay? They stop breathing, and then they start breathing. And so she stopped breathing. I go, oh, no. I did the same thing. Oh, my God, you're going. She starts breathing. Again. Okay, slow down. Okay. Okay. Then she stops breathing again. All the time I'm going, dearly below it. Oh, she's still here. Oh, she's still here. We got them married. And she lived for two more weeks. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like, 
but you know, they they promised me that they would do it. She wanted to have a party and do it an official way, and they never did get to it. You know, so whenever couples come to me and say, "Can you marry me now?" because and then we'll have an official ceremony later, I, I look at them. You're not going to do it. I have not have one that has ever done that. Now I think so, yeah, I, I know this situation in the fourth or fifth row back. You did do that. That was a different situation, kind of a little bit. You say what? I got married in Australia, and then they came up here and got married. Okay, all right. And you're the only one. Okay, you're the only one. So anyway, weddings don't work out. Where are my young girls here? They're not married. Okay, I'm going to tell you something straight out. Okay? Do not have an outdoor wedding. <laughs> right? Where are you at? Where are the youths? Every time you talk about weddings. Every time i got to bring that. That was the coolest... Hey, anyway, we have this outdoor wedding, okay? But don't have an outdoor wedding because the candles won't stay lit. It's going to get cold. It's going to be windy. I did a wedding one time where uh, it was at the beach up there in Chicago. And I'm watching the whole audience do this. Well, Bongo Man's playing the bongos at the step of the boathouse. He's doing this. And the whole congregation doing this. I go, what in the world's going on? And people were throwing uh, footballs behind the wedding party. And the whole audience, they don't know anything I said. They were just watching the football the whole time. Oh. It ain't going to work. You ain't going to have a perfect wedding. I guarantee it. But in the Jewish culture at the time of Jesus, it was the center point of the community life when they had weddings. And in fact, the weddings were so elaborate that you would have a party that lasted three to seven days. I like that idea. Three to seven days of free food. Make sure it's filet mignon. But it lasted for three to seven days. It was the highlight of the community. Just the same thing. It's the highlight of any community when a wedding is done. It's a beautiful thing. So Jesus gives this story. And he's talking about a second coming. And he refers to himself as the bridegroom. Let's go to this, if this is on. Okay. Jesus says, At the time, the kingdom of heaven would be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Okay, so he starts on, he talks about the bridal party. You got the, 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 the bride and you got ten virgins that were uh, made of honors that were supposed to be with them. Most likely they knew that the wedding was going to happen. They didn't know exactly when, but all the bridegrooms and bridesmaids were together. And as, it, as normally happens on the night before the wedding, you, no one can sleep. And they're giddy. And they stay up. And they're talking. And they're going on and on and on. And finally one of them falls asleep, probably three in the morning. Then the other one falls asleep. It could be whatever. But they're waiting for the bridegroom. There are three parts of a wedding that the Jewish people went through. The first was the engagement, or the betrothal. betrothal. That word, the, the, um, um, when they're betrothed to each other. There the fathers would come together of the bride and the groom. And they would come together and they would negotiate what was called a bride price. We, uh, today, we change it into a dollar. Okay? A hope chest. 
When the agreement was made, and, and by the way, the, the, the bride had to agree to this agreement. It just isn't that the dad just didn't stand up and said, if you're getting married, you have no choice. She had to agree to it. The bride, and, um, at that point, the bride would receive some gifts, bride or shower. The bride and groom would come together before family and friends and make vows and covenants and binding promises. They would sign what was called a, a kabuda or a marriage contract. It was a, it was, the contract really was designed to protect the bride. Because at that point, when you said I do, you were married to them, and there was a contract there that said, essentially, if you break off the engagement, if you divorce her husband, this is what you're promising to continue to provide for her. So if I were, let's say I were to divorce Polly, that contract would say Darwin still has to pay $250,000 a year to her. It was a protection. And then a ceremony would commence, and the bride would walk seven times around her room, and at the seventh time she would stop at his right hand and hold his hand to fulfill what Psalm 45.9 says, is that your right hand stands your queen. Wine was given. They drank the wine together. A ring was placed on her index finger. Not her ring finger, her index finger. The reason is because that's everything you point with. So that let everybody know that she was taken. And they would say, the bride is now sanctified to her husband and forbidden from all other men. She was set apart at that time. And then the marriage contract was read to those who were near. This is a marriage contract that they found in the 19th century. And let me read to you what we do know it says, because I couldn't find the exact words, but it says, discovered in the late 19th century, this marriage contract is part of a store of papyrus documents from the island of Ephelotane, in the Nile River near modern-day Aswan. The document is written in Arabic, the everyday language of ancient Judaism. The scribe was Nathan ben Ananan, who was a priest of Yahweh, the God of Israel. The arrangement is for the marriage between Aniah and Tumunt, the daughter of Meshulam. The military garrison at Ephelotine, Tain, under the control of the Persian Empire in the 5th century BC was the site of a thriving Jewish com uh, community uh, that included an ancient temple to Yahweh. So at that point they were married. However, they had to separate. They were not allowed to be together for uh, probably about a good year. You know, when Polly said, I do, we became husband and wife. We were together from then on. But at this point, the man, the groom then had to go back to his home where his father and mother were and he would start to build a room onto the family compound. I example, in my father's house are many rooms. He was referring to the fact that the groom had to go back and build this room on the family compound and it had to be done right. I could just imagine dad sitting there going, you know, John, you're going to do this right because you better do this right because this is a reflection on our family. Many months would go by and they could not break that engagement. 
If they were to break that engagement, it's like a divorce. If the husband died during that period, she was considered a widow. See, we saw this in the Christmas story. Mary and Joseph. Mary was pregnant. Joseph was going to divorce her quietly. See how it all comes together? After the engagement period was done, the groom then, oh, the, during the engagement period, the groom would go back and build the house uh, to provide a place for her. Um, when it got close to the point of having the wedding, the bride then would go to what was called a mikvah, and she would immerse herself for cleansing to representing the change of authority in her life for her, from her father to her husband. All right. Now, here, finally, comes the bride. And you thought you had stress. The bride did not know the day nor the hour in which the groom would come. I assume that they probably said, I'd be ready. We're not 100% sure. Remember, they didn't have cell phones back then. They couldn't call them up and say, here he comes! I mean, they had to wait. And, and she brought her bridegroom, bridesmaids together, and part of the procession was that at night he would come and take his bride, and they would walk through the town, and the bridesmaids would follow with lamps or torches that was burning oil. And I, I, I just imagine these ten virgins coming together, bridesmaids, <clears throat> It says ten of them were, five of them were prudent and the other five were morose. Morose is the Greek word for moron or stupid. And so the five came and said, you know, I need to bring more than just enough oil. Let's bring some more because we don't know the time or the hour. The other five said, we're just going to bring just enough. <coughs> I've done that before. How many of you have done just enough and you found out it wasn't enough? And that's what happened. She brought just enough, and it says, and the groom was delayed. Why, we don't know. Just a story. But was delayed. When the time came for the, for the bridegroom <clears throat> to show up, the, the, the bridesmaids would wake up, they would trim their lamps, they would make sure there was enough oil in it, and back up. Uh, and then, I got too many things up here. Then they would take the bride, they would put a golden crown on her head, they would put her in a litter, and they would carry her from one town to another. So they would, they would carry them from um, um, Menden to Neptune, or Neptune to Menden. The whole time the bridesmaids behind them, and they light up the sky, the shofars are playing, their trumpets are playing, um, they're, they're excited, it's an exciting thing to see happen. They get to the town, and they come up to a, they come up to a, a tent-like structure that had four posts. These four posts were actually from trees that the father of the groom planted on the day that their child was born. And so he would plant these trees in expectation for this day coming. Young parents, I, 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 one of the things that I did with my children, one of the goals I had was to make my children such great spouses that you would want them, your daughters or, or, or sons to marry them. In other words, give, develop in them good character. Always have in mind your children and your children's children. 
Okay? So they would carry her to the canopy. A little ceremony is there. The, a wine glass was broken, symbolizing the end of the betrothal period, and now they're in the marriage period. A blessing was given. The couple would meet after the wedding, send a few minutes together. Oh, I forgot a very important part. When they saw the, the bride and she had a veil over her face, the groom always went to the bride and opened up the veil to make sure that she was the bride that he intended to have. Anybody know what story we're referring to? Leah and Rebecca. So there was no trickery. And they come together and they part. Now they were not married until one very important event took place. In the Jewish culture, you were not considered married married until you were married married. Um, they, would, they would have to consummate the marriage. And when that marriage was consummated, they were, you were not one and they celebrated. In fact, there's also stories of the best man would take the bride and groom to that new room that he had just developed. He would stand at the door while they went in and consummated the marriage, and then when they came out and were done, and he would go, they're done, they're married, and everybody would celebrate for another couple of days. I'm glad they don't do that anymore. Okay, so I just gave you the background to it. There were five bridesmaids that were considered wise, the Greek word is phronios, means as to they were thoughtful, sensible, prudent. In other words, they knew that most likely we don't know when his, the bridegroom uh, is going to come, so let's make sure we have some more oil. There were five that were morose, which we get our word moron or stupid from, who just brought just enough. I just have just enough gas. I mean, uh, the way I describe it is you get on an airplane and they have just enough fuel in the airplane to get you to your destination. How many of you want to ride an airplane like that? You do? Yeah. I want some more. And so they were uh, waiting for the bridegroom to come. You had five that had more oil and had five that did not have enough oil. And so Jesus comments on this bride on the bridesmaids. And he commends the prudent ones. And he condemns the morose ones. We're stopping here. I want to talk about one lesson and then we're going to conclude today. The bride... Let me, let me get to the characters and I'll, then I can explain more. Let me get to the bride. Okay. The symbolism is the bridegroom is Christ, the bride is the church, the oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit. The wedding procession symbolizes the second coming. The door is the door of heaven. So, I forgot one. The virgins represent the Christians, or those who call themselves Christians, those who identify with the church. Okay. So what, what is Jesus in the first part of this uh, um, parable trying to get across? I think he's trying to get across is this. There are two types of people in the world. There's actually three parts. One, those who won't accept Christ. Those who believe in Christ but just want just enough. And then, then you have those who want, are, have accepted Christ and he, they, want, they want more. 
They want more of Christ. They want more. They will do more than just what is required. And I think about that in the Western church. I just, just enough. I, I just need enough of Jesus to make sure I get into heaven. And I believe that Jesus is saying, there's so much more to me than just enough. Can you imagine if you just did just enough in your, with your spouse? I got married, now I'm just going to do just enough. What's just enough? I show up at the house and I sit down and we don't do anything together. That's just enough, you're still married, right? No, you, want, you as a spouse, you want more than just that. And I think that's one thing Jesus is saying. He's saying there's so much more to Christianity. There's so much more to the faith than just enough. We find out later on that the virgin who had just enough did not have enough oil to go the whole way. And there's a lesson in that too. We'll get to that next week. We also find out later that the ones who had just enough had to go out and get more oil. They didn't have Walmart then. So how they got the oil, we don't know. But eventually they went and got the oil, went to the party, and they weren't allowed into the party. Wow. So Jesus is what he's talking about here, and the, 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 the true lesson of this whole parable is no one knows the day nor the hour when the bridegroom is coming. No one knows the day nor the hour when Jesus is coming. But he's also saying, live your life. Not just enough. Live it to the fullness that Christ has offered to us. And we're going to talk more about that next week. As I said, once I got the sermon done, I said, there's no way I'm going to get it all done. But what does it mean to live a life to the fullness that Christ has in store for us as we wait for the second coming of Jesus Christ? Just enough? Or to the fullness? Father, we weren't able to get done with the sermon today, which is fine. You know in your providence. So Lord, I pray that uh, we will be the, the virgins that are prudent, not morose. We know that Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. May we be prudent and not morose. Father, may uh, we have the oil that represents the Holy Spirit in each of our lives. Not just enough, but overflowing. Help us to be aware and open and ready for you. And we live a life as if you are coming back at 12 noon today. Be with us, O Lord. The altar will be open for anyone who would like to have prayer. But really think about this. If you knew that Jesus was coming back in 25 minutes, what would you do? And that's how you should be living your life every day. If you feel the need to come and to pray for whatever reason, the altar is open for